Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at a paper that is titled Domestic Foal Weaning, Need for Rethinking Breeding Practices. And this is by S. Henry et al. And this was a request by Aileen through Instagram. So thank you, Aileen, because this turned out to be a very interesting read. It was just published in February of 2020. So it is pretty new in terms of research. And in a simple kind of um, breakdown of what this paper was doing is it was looking at ages that foals are weaned at and what kind of long-term effects or knock-on effects occur because of this and what kind of stress is induced. So under domestic conditions, most foals are artificially weaned before the time of natural weaning. Natural weaning takes place somewhere between nine or 10 months of age. And this is where the foals just spontaneously wean off of the mare. But when we kind of get involved and we artificially force this process, we tend to do this anywhere between four to seven months of age. And four months is just seems so young for separating out a foal from the mare. But what was really fascinating in this paper was where it looked at the effects that the er, this early weaning process actually has. And they were saying that there's, um, in the immediate kind of period, we've got increased long distance whinny calls, increased active locomotion and eliminative behaviors. And then there's an increased risk of injury. And that's within the first um, two days post weaning because you know, the foal can really try and get back to the mare, I suppose, especially if they can see them but can't touch them. Uh, there can be kind of a panicked behavior. But there was also other behavioral changes such as altered feeding and sleeping patterns, aggressiveness, suspension of play, redirected suckling, and even then leading on to stereotypical behavior when they get older. So this, I just, I found it so kind of mind-blowing of that knock-on effect it seems to have. Yeah, and they also would had such elevated stress hormones and changes in their heart rate. And then the real thing that stuck out to me is they had a decline in growth rate. So even a commercial breeder, you, you want those uh, weanlings to be robust and to look like good specimens. So when you wean too early or artificially, if it affects growth rate, I was considering, you know, why do we do it this way? Mm-hmm. And even when it says that, you know, if you've got an elevation of stress hormone, you end up having a subsequent decrease in an immune response. So you're risking these foals getting sickly. Um, But also it seemed to have a negative impact on the maturation of the gut microbiota. So 
we're actually potentially causing long-term gut problems in them as well from weaning them too soon. And I suppose a big part of that is, you know, when we wean them, we're going to introduce other dietary means because they need enough calories and they need enough fats and proteins. So it's probably bringing the gut onto that too soon as well. That's a good point, Kate, because I kind of looked in to the time frame that we began this early weaning or artificial weaning, and it was in the late 1800s. And they started doing it because they found that the mare's milk supply decreased sharply by the third month of lactation. So um, they more or less thought that that was nature saying the foals were ready to be weaned, but that's not what the mares, you know, were saying. And then also um, they realized that nutritional requirements of a three to four month old foal were not being met then by the mares milk. So they would start to introduce um, you know, more solid food and vitamins and things like that, that they had available in the late 1800s. So that's why this all began and became a part of our management of horses is because of what nature was telling them, but they forgot to, they forget to consider the bonding that is still taking place, even though the mare's milk isn't fully a nutritional diet for that foal. Yeah, because they were saying that even so foals up to a year old will still choose to only spend about one third of their time away from the mare. You know, like it's important that they're kept close together. And I suppose we'll come on to this, but there are, you know, I suppose more welfare friendly ways to wean foals, certainly. Removing them entirely from the mare is just not conducive to their stress levels, their bonding, their socialization, and to their health. And what was interesting was one study in particular found that early weaning of um, fillies can lead to uh, other disorders. So particularly in fillies, it found if they're going to be future breeding mares, they could potentially be less fertile and produce weaker, slower growing foals with a weaker skeleton. So that's kind of like the knock-on effect to the next generation if you have a mare that's been weaned too early. Yeah, and you know, once again, that would have a commercial um, devaluing of these brood mares. Um, mm -hmm. So also um, I thought, okay, if they knew this in the late 1800s and they thought they were doing the right thing, now we have evidence that it might not be the right thing to do. Why do we still do it? And well, it's because the weanling market, you've got to get those horses weaned so you can put them into the sales ring. And then also um, they just kind of wanted to mentally switch the foals from being bonded to the mares to bonded to humans. So especially in the racing industry where those foals are more attentive to what their human handlers are asking them to do. And 
probably looking at it as being more of a yearling type situation than so much of a weanling. But a lot of the weanling sales, they go up to the ring and they've got the um, shifty bit in their mouth and they walk up there like the yearlings do. So, and then the third reason, I think sometimes they pull these foals off the mamas because they think the broodmare is back in full and she needs more nutrition, um, you know, than having one feeding off of her and one in the oven, so to speak. I think, um, you know, you were saying about the weanlings coming up and kind of being as brave as the yearlings are. Mm -hmm. I wonder too, because when I was reading this, I thought we've got the stress of when we remove them because of just being separated from the mayor and going through this period of being weaned. But we don't always just leave them at that time either. Like sometimes this is the period where we increase handling mm -hmm. and we try and increase like human socialization with them when they're already going through an intensely stressful time. So yeah. obviously they do become more acclimatized to people and then become braver. And, you know, we see them, um, obviously approaching situations more like coming up to people more because they learn that bond but it's probably worth noting as well that we shouldn't really be doing that during that time you know we shouldn't be adding in extra handling or any kind of training work they should just be I mean isn't the most ideal scenario where they're able to touch and see the mayor through the fence but they're yeah. with another group of weanlings so they can express playful behaviors and they're still kind of creating that herd bond. Yeah, I think ideally, and don't get me wrong, I, I just recently weaned one that was seven months old. So now I wish I might have let nature take over and do it. But the rest of the broodmare band was being weaned. Um, you know, the foals were being weaned. So it's so tough in commercial type situations where maybe you have one broodmare and one baby, but that broodmare has formed a bond with 15 other broodmares and foals. So you can't dictate that you your broodmare and foal should not be weaned when all the others are being weaned. But I do think um, research shows um, and I will list the paper on the homepage that when you artificially wean a baby and then you overdo the human handling, that affects them the rest of their life as far as them not necessarily respecting that human handler space. And it was a really an interesting read because they're more likely to exhibit stereotypical behaviors and not have that um, distance, you know, they'll be in your face more and things like that. So I'll list that as well, because that's kind of a different dyad than if a human gets too close, then the horse tends to come in and not have that distance space. That's interesting, because mm -hmm. we talk about this in cats a lot in veterinary. So like hand-reared kittens, I mean, I know there are some that end up being nice, but the majority <laughs> of them are just crazy because they do, they need their mother to learn specific social cues. 
And when we hand rear kittens in particular, we tend to find that when they're older, you know, they're, they have expressed more behaviors where they're probably biting a bit more, scratching some more and expressing inappropriate behaviors towards people. So I can imagine in foals, you know, that kind of boundary gets crossed as well. They're not learning from their mother because they mentioned that in this paper, you know, that you being around the mayor is how you should really introduce yourself to the foal because the foal will pick up the cues. So spending time just grooming the mayor and just being around but not putting pressure on the foal to kind of interact in any way. Yeah, I, I agree. And I will post that other paper because um, I have a weaver that we had on the racetrack and he's always been a weaver. And I do believe he was weaned. He, and, you know, some of them can be weaned early and it does not make them for sure to have a stereotypical behavior. But one good thing this paper pointed out is you have to assess the mare and baby on an individual type of uh, situation. So you might see a foal nursing more, say at six months of age, seven months of age than what the others are. So you realize that foal is still needing that bond and needing that closeness with the mare. And when you interrupt that, you may be creating some problems for down the road. And uh, I thought that was good to, to do it on an individual basis. I think so too. Did you read that sentence, Nancy? Um, it is something like in adult horses. So they haven't studied it in, weanlings but in adult horses with stereotypical behaviors they have a lower um capacity for learning yeah it remember um we did the one episode kate about um horses that you messed with the steps that you take to a certain cue if you disrupt that and don't do it the same way the stereotypical horses would it would affect them they could, yeah. they could not deal with it they're learning they're such honed into learning patterns more than the non-stereotypical behaviors and i think that's what this paper meant by that is their whole um learning process is a little bit different and they're almost ocd yeah it's really fascinating, like such a knock-on effect to the whole body of the foal, you know, their mental capacity for dealing with stress, their gut microflora, um, even down to like how they're going to breed when they're older, what their offspring will be like, how they can potentially cope in situations. And developing of stereotypic behaviors is often linked with that needs to self-soothe, which they're obviously not at a stage where they've developed that with the mayor and they're comfortable to move away from the mayor. Yeah, and did you, well, part of this paper was um, they talked about what current research showed and then they also took 16 mares and foals and studied them and through the weaning process. And I thought it was fascinating that these 
horses were in Iceland. So it was kind of bitter and cold. And even though these foals were older and were still nursing, those mares did not lose any body condition. So there was no need to pull those babies off of them. So it was almost like there's a natural mechanism that these animals are able to wean themselves and do it better than we than we know to do for them. So um, it was. I thought it was that was uh, pretty good that no artificial weaning is really needed. The mares will take care of it and do that, and the foals will be right in line with them. There's really no rejection. I guess, like, what do you think, Nancy, in potentially coming up with a solution to them being weaned early? Because can you bring forward, I mean, we already manipulate the breeding season, especially in countries that don't have that daylight stretch. Mm -hmm. Could you bring forward the breeding season, like, December, January, and then that gives you a couple of months because I know obviously not all mares will take in January, sometimes you're February or March, but it's just trying to bring it forward by a couple of months so that the foals are at the 10-month age when it does come round to November. Well, and even, you know, if they're back in foal, like um, our colt was born in March and then she was bred back um, in April and so and then she continued to nurse again for five more months so it's not so much that we worried about that nutritional factor it was more the bond um, that we were considering but I just think there wouldn't have been any harm in us going another month or two and yeah. letting them do that. I mean, when you're having foals, now I'm talking about thoroughbreds in the United States, when you're having foals from January to May, it's rare, but you may get a June foal as well. Um, you know, uh, I guess you probably would be forced to do a four-month weaning if you were going to sell that baby in a November sale. But at that point in time, maybe you should just say no and wait and sell that baby as a yearling the yeah. following year. So I think what needs to be done to make a difference here is to just keep putting it out, what the research shows, how your, you know, especially how it may benefit the mare for the next pregnancy. Now that this paper did not cover, they suspect there's benefits, but it's never been fully studied where they wanted to, to put that out there. But we can see it definitely benefits the foals to let that natural weaning take place, especially for the fillies that may be broodmares for the future. So, uh, and there's plenty of of uh, racehorses that get retired and are turned into brood mares and then they can't conceive. And if you can help that possibly by not weaning early or artificially, or even um, one study used an udder cover so they could still maintain a bond and be with that mare, but not nurse. And so there's 
mechanisms, I think. Now, I've never, ever seen an udder cover for sale. Me I either. Even, I didn't even know they made them until I read this paper. But, you know, we try to do it over a fence, but you're risking that foal may run through the fence, that foal mm -hmm. or mare. So, I mean, there's a lot of safety concerns. I think overall, just let nature take its course and let them, um, you know, grow up and be with their mare. And I think most of them, uh, according to this paper, are naturally weaned 30 days before the next delivery. So I think maybe we need to look at that and market those babies accordingly. But uh, anyway, there needs to be more weaning research. There's not a whole lot out there, but what is out there, you know, I'm kind of becoming an advocate for natural weaning. Yeah, I think this was a great paper. And this is open source, isn't it? So anyone can read this. I'll have a link to this paper and then another smaller paper that talks about that human handling and how it can be a negative versus a positive. So um, those two, I'll definitely put the link on the homepage. And then I'll also have the survey on the homepage. So our survey is now live. So anyone that wants to take it, it's a quick run through. Uh, we made it specifically a short survey so it wouldn't be um, a lot of time uh, for you to take it. And if you're a listener and a horse owner or work with horses, we would love to have your opinions. So you can find the survey on Facebook, Conversations in Equine Science, on Instagram, Science, and on Nancy and my LinkedIn pages, we'll be sharing it as well. And I think you were saying, Nancy, you might be sharing it on Twitter. Yep, I'll, I'll go ahead and share on wherever I can. Um, if you guys um, want to request the survey in an email or something, let us know and we will um, send it to you now. It will still be anonymous because your answers do not come back to us. They go directly to the survey uh, and we don't know whose answers are whose. So uh, we definitely need to keep everything anonymous. So if you do want to take part, it's an opportunity to be involved in some equine research. And hopefully we'll have a paper at some point in the future that will be able to give you some feedback on how the process has gone and just to kind of get some more insights into how, I suppose, how you find learning through the podcast. So it's definitely yep. an interesting one. And other than that, I think that's everything I had for this week. I think that's everything I had on this. I really enjoyed this paper. So thanks to, um, was it, I thank you so much. It was really interesting and probably something that I needed to read. It's definitely something that I needed to read. I have not even processed or thought about this before. So it's a good one. It's a good one when you learn something completely new. Yep. Always. And that's why we do this, right? <laughs> Yeah, learning every day. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Okay. Bye bye.